right, so Gate City Vineyard. This month is uh, Disability Awareness Month. And it just so happens that this morning, uh, that James is bringing us into the passage about showing favoritism, not discriminating amongst you, helping those who are different than you are, understanding those that are different. And so it just seemed like a wonderful morning to have a very, very special treat this morning. So we have our very own Vicki Burke here. And, and let's just, I told her, I said to her, this is a very friendly audience. So don't you worry about a thing, but we just want to hear a little bit about your story and how God has met you there. So this is Vicki. Good morning. You guys are looking so good today. <laughs> well, as you know, I am a woman. I'm a grandma. I'm a widow. I'm a mom. Got to be a mom to be a grandma. And I'm also blind. Everybody say the word blind. People are scared to say it. Everybody say the word blind. One, two, three. Blind. It is not a curse word, I promise you, it is in the Bible. <laughs> so I wanted to talk a little bit about my story and tell you a little bit about the way blind people maneuver the world. And I want to talk to you a little bit about my salvation story. And then I have some toys to show you. Um, I'm going to start with my story. I was premature. I have another one just like me, except he's male and he's not blind. Um, we were preemies and we were put in an incubator back in the olden days. That's how they did it. They couldn't control the oxygen. Brother came out okay. But daughter came out with film over her eyes. And they think that it happened during the oxygenation also, I have cataracts and glaucoma, so I was going to be blind no matter what. Um, I went to the school for the blind and got educated, and then I wandered away from God and was very wild, okay? Yes, all blind people are not going to heaven. <laughs> they have to do the same thing you guys do and accept Christ. Amen. There is no special dispensation, okay? <laughs> and if a blind person thinks they're going to heaven just because they're blind, they are sorely mistaken. <laughs> so I had my kids and had my kids before I was married. I told you I was a little wild. <laughs> I got married and my kids wanted to go to church. Well, if I had to go when I was a kid, I'm making them go, and I'm going to go with them. <laughs> Went to the Vineyard Church in Raleigh and had never been to a Vineyard Church. I thought the music was kind of odd. Now, as y'all know, I love the worship now, so it's not really odd now. Because uh, <laughs> I had been raised in many different churches because I was a a foster kid, but I made a conscious decision that I did not want to go to hell. I did not want to go, but I didn't really serve. When I started serving God, it didn't really hit me that I was a Christian until one time when I was praying and I felt a peace over me. 
And I said, I guess I'm not going to that place anymore. <laughs> so that's kind of my short story, but I want to give you guys a few facts about disability awareness. The first thing is all blind people cannot play the piano. <laughs> my husband could. You do not want me to play. Courtney, do not ask me to play the piano. <laughs> because we are blind does not mean we cannot hear. Please do not yell at me. <laughs> do not do that. I watch TV. I listen to sports. I watch sports. I do just like you do with my ears, okay? We watch things just like you do. Speaking of sports, blind people bowl. They play darts. Yes, there are tar talking dartboards. We also had blind baseball. So we were athletic sometimes, <laughs> except me. I'm sorry to say. Um, another thing that people think about blind people is that blind people sit at home and rock and rockin' chairs and sing Christian music. All of us can sing, that's not true. I think I, I, think I can sing, that's my judgment. But there are some people that are quite tone deaf, okay? Um, no offense to them, they're making a joyful noise, but I'm just saying, I'm, there is no Stevie Wonder, okay? Um, the other thing is 90% of blind people are unemployed. 86% of disabled people are unemployed. 90%. So I'm blessed to have a job. I work at Industries of the Blind, which is on over there by UNCG, and I make ink pens. A blind person making ink pens, isn't that cool? <laughs> um, but we are, we are employed. Um, some of the products that we make are um, for the military. I was involved in making military masks during the pandemic. All of you are TABs, temporarily able-bodied. I thought about Joe during this discussion because Joe had COVID and he was in the hospital. And he was not unable to do the things that he would normally do. And I asked him, could I bring this up? So, um, so I just want you guys to know that I'm just like you. I'm going to be more active in the church because now I'm getting more comfortable. Yes. And if you guys know it or not, or remember it or not, one of the vineyard values is everybody gets to play. Amen. Amen. It doesn't matter if you're disabled. It doesn't matter what color you are. And if any of you have self-esteem issues and think you're not good enough, read Psalm 139. Mm -hmm. Read it every day if you have to. Because every one of you are valuable to Christ. His blood was shed for everybody, disabled or not. Amen. Now I'm going to show you my goodies and then I'm leaving. <laughs> because Beth talks about James, and the only James I'm learning about is that James, because my James is in heaven, okay? So, 
this is what Braille looks like. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen it. If you look on your bathrooms or whatever, there's Braille written on it. That's part of the Americans with Disabilities Act. I brought a talking watch. That's how we tell time. Except you can use your phone nowadays to do it. Alexa is the most amazing person. She times my food. She reads me books. She's one of my favorite people. <laughs> you can read the Bible on your phone, and it'll read it to you. You can read the Bible on Alexa. She'll read it to you. You can get a Bible in Braille, but it's huge, and I don't have one that big because my apartment's too small. <laughs> but it's like 15 volumes of Braille. Wow. And no, we don't have room for that in my little apartment. Um, now, since it's White Cane Day, which will be next Friday, we have two surprises. We have candy canes for the kids, and I want to explain about the guy that invented the white cane. The guy that invented the white cane is from England, and Bristol, England, and he was living in a rough neighborhood, and he couldn't cross his street. So he invented the white cane with the red tip, so they would let him cross the street. Now, this is cool because their canes are different than ours. Theirs are, if you are deaf and blind, they're red ribbons around the, um, the whole cane so that the traffic people would know. But if you're here, you just have the red tip at the bottom and the white cane. I'm going to leave this stuff up here. If you guys have questions, it's okay. Um, Beth is going to preach, and that's not my job, so. <laughs> and the candy canes will give, be given to the children today. They are sitting over there where I was sitting. So God bless you, and thank you very much for your time. Candy canes will be on front. As the kids go out, you're dismissed to go out, but make sure you meet Vicki at the front and get a candy cane. Thank you so much. Bless you. Yeah. Thank you. Amen. Beautiful. Actually, put these down. Here, take this. Oh, thank you. <laughs> wow. Praise God. Yeah, so kids, get out. Go ahead. Get up. Get your candy canes, and you can go out with Susan. Blessings on you, Vicki, for sharing your life with us. Wow, what a blessing. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I don't know, she's got an awful lot of candy canes, so maybe she'll let the grown-ups have one at the end. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> That's great. Wow, what a, what a beautiful testimony. What a beautiful testimony. Thank you, Vicki. And, and what a beautiful setup for James, because we are right in this section of James, which talks about how we can love all, how everyone plays. 
And that's exactly what Vicki just talked to us about. So I want us to go ahead and read, get into the scripture this morning. Lord Jesus, would you come and anoint the word? Lord, would you bless Vicki, Lord, for, for her sharing with us her life? Lord, bless her in her life. Lord, give her, give her hopefulness and a joyfulness, Lord. Uh, help her to see where she fits in your body, Lord. We just thank you for her. I thank you for every person in this room, Lord. If there's anyone here who thinks, I don't know where I fit in. I've got some problem. I've got some disability. I've got something that I don't think I fit in and I just pray you'd say to them yes you do that you are part of this body and that God loves you we love you Lord would just would you anoint and be present here and speak to us we pray in Jesus name amen so let's read from James 2 verses 1 to 13 my brothers and sisters believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones dragging you into court? Are they not the ones blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. So speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over justice, over judgment. Amen. God talks a lot about favoritism in the Bible. He talks about it here in this passage. And, you know, most of us think, I don't play favorites. I'm a pretty fair person. And in fact, this passage seems crazy, right? Can you imagine like a rich person coming in and everyone fawning over the rich person and then, you know, a poor person not treating them well? Like, we wouldn't do that. We're not that kind of people. And then I ask you, what would all happen here this morning if Tom Hanks walked in the door? Or maybe it's Tom Brady that you're into. Maybe you're more into sports. Or maybe Beyonce. What if Beyonce walked in here this morning? What would we do then? It was very funny. Many years ago uh, at my church, uh, old church, Bernie Williams walked in the door with his wife. And for those of you who are not... Uh, baseball fans. Bernie Williams was a pretty famous Yankee baseball player, and this was in New York, so people are really into the Yankees in New York. And so Bernie Williams was a big deal. He was right at the height of his career, and he and his wife actually came to our church. And people were like, it's Bernie Williams, you know? Everyone was excited. We are all like, be cool, like just, you know, like treat him like a normal person. We don't want to scare him off. But I'm telling you, some people could not control themselves. They were so excited because I'm telling you, there are some really big Yankee fans in New York. And so they just couldn't stop following him around and like laughing and being like, it's Bernie Williams. And they, some, somebody asked him for his autograph. And so, you know, maybe it's not so crazy after all, this passage. Maybe it does kind of apply to us. Um, the Williams didn't end up staying at our church. I think we probably scared them off. Um, we were not cool. But uh, Scripture repeats this message over and over again, I think because he knows we need to hear it. Um, it he, scripture repeats it in other places, that God doesn't play favorites and neither should we. Leviticus 19.15 says, Do not pervert justice. 
Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. I always like that one because it's, it shows that sometimes we favor the rich or the famous, but sometimes we, we do a reverse, right, discrimination where we favor the poor. It says, don't favor either, judge your neighbor fairly. And in Romans, Paul, talking about the Jews and the Gentiles, says God does not show favoritism. So this is an important point for God. Why does he do it, say it over and over again? Because he knows that we are prone to it. We are prone to favoring people who are like us, who we find more easy to be around, who think like us, talk like us, look like us. And as Vicky kind of alluded, sometimes we're even uncomfortable to say the word blind or, you know, to say something about, because we're, we're so uncomfortable, we don't know even how to speak, how to talk, and so we tend to avoid or separate ourselves from people who are different than we are. And so this is an area where we potentially lack self-awareness. If you remember last week, if you were here, we talked a lot about self-awareness, how often, how easily we can be deceived about ourselves. And I think this is an area where we can be deceived, that we don't realize, that we sometimes discriminate, that we sometimes have bias and prejudice that, is, that shows favoritism. And this is what James is going to be talking to us about this morning. So let's go back to the beginning of this passage, the very first four, chat, four verses, and I'll repeat this, this little story. He says, brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, we must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. So what's really going on here in this little scenario that James is talking about? Well, first of all, the word for favoritism means literally receiving the face. So it's this interesting idea of only seeing the face, of judging a person just by how they look, by the face of them, not by the rest of their character, by who they are. It's receiving the face, judging people, making judgments on external appearances. And in this section, it's not clear whether the meeting they're talking about is something like this, a worship service, whether someone was walking into a worship service. It could have been a teaching session, a class. It might have even been a business meeting that they were holding. We don't really know, but we do know that, of course, the rich person's treated very well and the poor person is not. And James is saying, you're creating distinctions, that you're showing that somebody is a little bit more worthy of your time, a little more valuable, perhaps because they have something to give you or something that, that you feel more comfortable with than someone else. And it's only based on the appearance. The person just walked in the room. It's only based, it's, it's receiving the face. And I'm pretty sure I'm stating the obvious when I say to you this morning that that is always wrong. It's always wrong to judge someone based on their external appearance. Um, Paul and I were in the CMA denomination, Christian and Missionary Alliance denomination, before coming to the vineyard. And there's an interesting story about the founding of it. The founder's name was A.B. Simpson. Here he is, good old guy. He was, uh, this was in the late 1800s. And he was a very prominent pastor, a Presbyterian pastor, in a very prominent church in New York City in the late 1800s that was called the 13th Street Presbyterian Church. This was a very elegant and wealthy church in the center of Manhattan. And he was a really great orator, incredible speaker. And so that church was growing and growing and growing. And this is like the holy grail for pastors, right? You got a great church. It's a little wealthy. That's good. It means the pay is good. And, you know, it's growing. Except that A.B. had a real heart for all the immigrants who were coming in. 
because of course it's a time of great immigration in the US, people coming in through Ellis Island, and so he would go down to the pier and minister to all these immigrants from, from Ireland and, and England and, and Italy and all these places, and he would minister to them and tell them about Jesus, and they wanted to come to church with him. So he brought all these immigrants into his nice, elegant, wealthy church in Manhattan. And unfortunately, the people in that church just couldn't deal with these unwashed, smelly, strange-speaking people in their church. And so they kind of told him to kind of like cut it out. And to his credit, he left. He said, I'm going to give up this cushy, comfortable job. And he started something called the Gospel Tabernacle, which began, became the beginning of the CMA movement. So I was always proud of that uh, from the CMA, that that was the start. He wanted a church where everyone was welcome, unwashed, every language, tribe, tongue. And, but yet, you know, every time I'd hear that story, I would think about my church up north, and I think it now about us. How would we react if people very, very different from us? Whatever we are, if something, someone very different from us came in, how would we react? Would we welcome? Do we show favoritism? And I'm not going to answer that question I think I want to just leave that question out there and let us each consider before the Lord, can I be a person that wouldn't show favoritism in that situation? Could I welcome someone very, very different? And so let's keep going. Let's keep going on this passage. That's what we, we bring from that first little bit. We're going to go into um, verse 5 to 7 and read this again as well. Listen, he says, my dear brothers and sisters, has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? Now, this is a pretty hard passage if you happen to be rich. <laughs> uh, you might say, hey, that's kind of harsh. It feels like he's bashing all rich people. I'm not like that. I didn't make my wealth by, by oppressing the poor. So what is he talking about here? And I do think we have to understand the context that he's speaking into at this moment, which is that in, in first century Middle East, everyone was really poor, really poor. I know we have poor people here, but we know, right, that in America, even our poorest are probably richer than most people, a lot of people in the world, right? I mean, most of us have cars and, and clothes and a, and a place to live. So, you know, it's, these were not that kind of poor. These were dirt poor. Most people were dirt poor in the ancient Middle East, except for a very, very small elite. They had elites that were merchants, that were land, wealthy landowners and a few leaders, and they were the elites, and they had a lot of money. And so there was a lot of power invested in that very, very wealthy, small, small percentage of people, and they generally tended to use that wealth to oppress the poor, to get even more money out of the peasants around him. And that was not new in the first century. It goes back. If you look in the Old Testament and listen to the prophets, what do they say over and over again? You're oppressing the poor. Stop oppressing the poor. You know, it's, it's something that was happening. This was not news to them. Proverbs, just to give you an example, Proverbs 22, verses 22 and 23, we're told, do not exploit the poor because they are poor. Do not crush the needy in court, for the Lord will take up their case and will exact life for life. So God's been speaking against this for a while. This is just the latest uh, iteration of that. But God feels strongly about this. 
And it's not so much that he has a problem with rich people per se, it's certainly not that. But what he's pointing out that the wealthy are more likely, more at risk of exploiting others, that their influence gives them prominence and preference over others that the poor do not have, and so that can be misused. It's a warning to rich people. It's a warning to us that have, have any kind of money. And wealth as well, he's implying here that it has a kind of blindness, that, that lack of self-awareness, that not realizing how much privilege we actually really do have when we have a little bit of money, that we really do get to do the things we want to do more easily, that the skids are greased when someone has wealth, even just a little more money and influence and power than others. Dr. Solomon Andrea is the head of the Department of Theology at the West Africa Alliance Theological Seminary in Cote d'Ivoire. And he writes this in the Africa Bible Commentary about this, about entitlement. I think this is interesting. He says, the rich have a great tendency and temptation to assume that their wealth entitles them to do what they like and they're not subject to the same rules as others. We certainly do see that out in our world today. And he quotes this great proverb, this colorful African proverb that says, Thin cows are not licked by their friends. Thin cows are not licked by their friends. What does that mean? It means thin cows are those that have no money or power. They're not catered to. Nobody cares what they do. They don't have any power to help the community, so nobody really cares what they do, and they don't really have opportunity. The skids are not greased for them. They're not licked by their friends. Whereas in contrast, those with a little more good looks, charisma, power, or wealth, are, the skids are greased for them. They get a pass over and over again. We see this in our, in our justice system all the time, right? We see the, you know, the wealthy that are in trouble get a really, really good lawyer and they kind of get off lighter, whereas somebody who did the same crime but who doesn't have the money ends up punished much more harshly than others. We see it in business. If you have a lot of money already, you can make a lot more money easier. <laughs> than if you're starting with zero, right? You can do it, but it's a lot harder. So, so this is what he's talking about. This is the way of the world. There's nothing new to all this, but what James is trying to say to us, that's the way of the world, but that is not how it should be in my church. That is not how it should be in my church. This is not the way of the kingdom. We're urged instead, and here as well as all throughout scripture, if we are rich or powerful or have any influence in this world, to open our eyes and realize the great privilege and responsibility that comes with the resources God has given us. Such privilege and responsibility that we're to open our hands to the poor, to be generous, to lend our power, influence, and resources to help those who are in need. It's all over the scripture. Deuteronomy 15, 7 and 8. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites, in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need, freely. 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 18. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And finally, Luke 12, 48. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. So let this be a warning to us whether we have a lot of money or a little or something in between, that we've been given a responsibility. We've been given a blessing and a responsibility. We're to be different from the world, different from the world. Now let's keep going into this passage. James kind of accelerates this issue of favoritism as he goes along in this first part of James 2. So then he goes on here, on, starting on verse 8. He says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. 
But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. So here he is raising the ante again. Now he's not just talking to rich people. He's talking to all of us. And he's saying, if you show favoritism of any kind, you sin. You sin. And it's, it's, you're violating one of the key teachings of Jesus. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's saying it's as bad as murderers and, law, and adulterers. This is serious business to God. And why is it serious to him? This goes back to what we were talking about even a few weeks ago in the Who series. It goes back to Genesis where God created every single one of us. How? In his image. We talked about, Vicki talked about that this morning. Every single one of us, whether we have light skin or dark skin, whether we are rich or poor, tall or skinny, gay or straight, whether we have a beautiful big house on Market Street or whether we live in the poorest part of Greensboro, we are each one precious in God's sight. Precious. Precious and loved and wonderfully made. Wonderfully made. And so when we make distinctions, when we receive the face, make a judgment and play favorites based on a person's external appearance, we're denying the image of God and grieving his heart. It grieves his heart. And I know that if you're like me, you're thinking, well, I know, that's why I don't do that. I'm so good. Like, I, you know, we're all such nice people, right? We don't do that. We don't. We're preaching to the choir, most of us like to say, I don't see color or gender or wealth. I don't see any of that. I just love everybody. And to that I say, I know that's what we all want to be like. <laughs> I believe that. But I do believe that we do see color and wealth and, and gender. We, we see it. Of course we see it. When someone walks in the room, we can see if they're wealthy or not. We see if they seem to be well-kept or not. We can tell right away if they're educated or not. We know the color of their skin. We know their gender. We know who they are. And in fact, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, to say I don't see color or gender or well is kind of, it's kind of offensive in a way. It'd be like if you said to me, well, Beth, I don't see that you're a woman. I'd say, I sure hope you do. Because <laughs> I like being a woman. It's who I am, you know? So we do want to see one another. It's not the seeing of one another and seeing the differences, but it's how, how do we behave? How differently might we receive someone based on receiving the face, based on what we see? What are the assumptions we make about people when we see them, when we first see them? God is objecting not to the differences. Of course, he loves the differences. He wants us to notice and admire the differences among us, but he doesn't want us to make distinctions and act differently around people because of how they look on their external appearance. And we all make these assumptions. We all do. This is an area of self-awareness. It's sort of like up north. If you're in New York and you see a really pretty blonde girl who has a deep southern accent, you pretty much assume she's not so smart. Just an assumption. And probably if you saw a New Yorker up here and if I had a stronger Bronx accent and I really talk like a New Yorker, you'd think I was pretty tough-hearted, kind of unfeeling New Yorker. We just make an assumption about that. It's an assumption we might make when we see an older person walking on a cane and we think they're done with life. What more do they have to offer? and we just kind of write them out of the life of the church. Or it's, the, it's the assumptions, as Vicki pointed out, we might make when someone's blind or deaf or has some other kind of disability, and we assume, oh, they must not be able to do anything. They must not know about what's going on in the world. They must not be able to read. Of course they can. We just make an assumption because we don't know. 
It's the assumption we make when we see a dirty homeless person on the street and we immediately think they must be lazy or drunk. It's the assumption we make when we see a young black man in a hoodie walking around at night and we immediately think he's up to no good and we roll up the windows. We all make these assumptions. My dear friend Nicole, who has two boys, uh, she's an African-American woman, she has two black boys and they are becoming teenagers and she has told them, she said, I had the talk, don't walk around in a hoodie. And I'm like, my kids lived in hoodies. But now they're old enough that it, will, they, it could be dangerous for them. And so see, this is what happens when we receive the face, when we make assumptions based on what we see. For some, it's just an offense. For some, it's just we've, we've missed out on the value of that person. But for some, it's even outright dangerous. You see what I'm saying? For a young boy walking around with a hoodie. And so God is saying to us this morning, I know where you are. I know the weakness you all have. But let's not make this in my church. This is not how we are to be in our church. Let's not receive the face. Do not show favoritism. In Christ, there's no Jew or Gentile. The church of Jesus Christ is a place for all. Everyone plays. Everyone's valued. I want to talk to you just for a minute about the early church. He says in Galatians, for all of you who are baptized have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. So this was the teaching they were getting, so they must have done this great in the early church, right? They must have had this all figured out in the early church. Actually, no. <laughs> just, a, just a very short time after Jesus is on the earth, they had problems with this. And this is helpful, I think. It's a, maybe it's encouraging, I don't know. Galatians 2, 11 to 13. So, this is Paul speaking, okay? And he says, when Cephas, or Peter, this is the apostle Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, and I'm going to stop right here, this is the James we're talking about. So these are men who came from James' church. Remember we talked about James once he saw the risen Jesus, and came, he became a leader of the Jerusalem church, the first church. And that church was a Christian church, but it was very, very Jewish. It was in the middle of Jerusalem. This is, this is Jewish culture, Jewish ways. And so these were men coming from James' church who loved the Lord, but they were just so steeped in their own culture they didn't even know. That's what happens when we're steeped in our own culture. We don't sometimes realize there's the lack of self-awareness. So anyway, here we got these men coming from James, and he says, before certain men came from James, Peter, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group, the Jewish believers. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Isn't that interesting? Even in the early church, they had already started segregating and separating because of race. What biases would the Jews have had about the Greeks? What, what were some of the prejudices they would have had? Well, they would have thought of Greeks as worldly and pagan, drunk idol worshipers, sexually promiscuous. They would have had all those thoughts about the Greeks. And what, was, what did God say about that attitude toward his people? Not in my church. Get that attitude out of my church. And what kind of prejudices did the, the Greeks have about the Jews? Uptight, self-righteous, judgmental. And what did God say about that in his church? Not my church. Not my church. Get that prejudice out of my church. 
What would God have said to those, what did those slaves or the masters think when they were sitting next to slaves in church? Because both masters and slaves were getting, were getting saved. They were sitting next to each other in church. The social order would not have allowed for that. And yet there, there it is. And what's God saying? He's God saying, this is how it's going to be in my church. We're going to worship together. What does he say about our prejudices and biases and, and discriminating against one another and segregating? He says, no, 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 don't let it happen in my church. Don't let it happen in my church. God upended the social order. He just took what is normal, natural humanness. It is human to go with people that are like you, to separate and segregate, to stay with your tribe. So much talk these days, find your tribe and stay in your tribe. I say, the heck with that. No, that's not what Jesus says at all. You, we have a lot of tribes. We need to be part of the tribe. God made all of them. We need to be welcoming of all God upends the natural things. And, you know, how good of him to do that? How good of him to do a work in us that is opposite of what we normally would do? That's the kingdom stuff. That's kingdom stuff. We're meant to be different from the world. And it's in God's church that all distinctions must end. Are we going to let God upend us, church? Will he upend us and change us? It's in God's church that the distinctions must end. What's the most segregated Sunday, or what's the most, I'll give you the answer. What's the most, what's the most segregated day of the week? Sunday. You all know that statistic. I mean, we all know it. Church is the most segregated time in America. And yet, how many of us have wept over that? Like, that grieves the heart of God. That's exactly what was going on with the Jews and the Gentiles. And here we are doing it again. And so, Let's hear God's voice say, not in my church. Let's make every effort to make that not the case here at Gate City Vineyard. Let's, let's push against that human urge to separate and to only be with people like us and to only welcome those like us and only listen to people like us. And let's also not have the attitude, well, if people want to be here, fine, but this is how I do things. No, 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 no. Can we be in a place where we say, I want to take down every barrier that would prevent anyone, a disabled person, a blind person, a person of a different color or race or language, I want to take down every barrier that would keep someone from being able to be part of this fellowship, of this body. This is what we're supposed to be as the kingdom of God, a beautiful, colorful array of his creation. That's what we're meant to be. That's what we're meant to be. This is, should be the DNA of our church. Amen. 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 It's not easy. God wouldn't have said it so many times if it wasn't hard. So he knows about that. I want to just take a few minutes and just give us a couple of, of small steps we can begin to take. This is, this is a long process, really. Um, but here's some small steps we can take to reduce that playing of favorites, that um, creating distinctions, separating among ourselves. And the first one is simply to become self-aware. It's what James has been telling us. He told us last week when we were talking about, about becoming self-aware, not being deceived. Let's not be deceived. I hope that we're not sitting here thinking, oh, I'm so glad so-and-so next to me is hearing this. <laughs> I hope that we're saying, Lord, open my heart because I, I don't think I am playing favorites, but show me, Lord, show me where I might receive the face and judge based on external appearances. Show me, Lord. Become aware of your own biases and assumptions. Do a self-assessment. What kind of books are you reading? What kind of people do you listen to? Who do you hang out with? All of this shows, are we in a bubble or not? 
It's really easy to be in a bubble with people just like you, who think like you, talk like you. The social media does not help, right? In fact, we know now, don't we, that Facebook has an algorithm that if you look at something, it gives you more of the same. So it actually puts people more and more into the same bubble. So if you believe this about something and you just look at a few things, now suddenly you're getting everything all just about that and everything else has been put, you know, taken out. It's amazing. So be aware. Let's not just fall into that bubble of whoever we listen to. Let's start to look outside of that. Let's pop the bubble. I almost wanted to give everybody a pin. <laughs> So that you could, you know, pop, we're popping the bubble, but I thought that'd be dangerous. You'd probably start poking each other with pins. But can we start to pop the bubble and start to listen? Listen, I challenge you to listen to voices that you don't usually listen to. Different podcasts, different, read different kind of books from different kind of people. Begin to be aware in your own life. But the second thing we want to do is to befriend people that are different from you because that's just like the second step, right? It's, it's the way to understand others and grow in empathy toward others is simply to get to know people who are different than you. I have a, my, I referenced my good friend, Nicole. She's actually an author and a podcaster, has a wonderful podcast, a good friend of mine. Um, and I heard her teach on this and she, she put it this way. She said, have your window wide enough the window of your life. Have your window wide enough to let people in who look different, have a different color from you, come from a different country from you, whose original language is different from yours, who vote differently from you, who are in a different life stage from you. This is how we begin to break down walls and stereotypes. How many people do we hang out with who are very different than us? Or who are they all the same? And she says, you know, I kind of think about this as, you know how it is when you go to a, a potluck and everybody brings potato salad? <laughs> I mean, I love me a good potato salad, all right? I mean, potato salad's awesome, but I don't want only potato salad. I want a variety of foods. I want a variety. And how much do we unintentionally surround ourselves again with people just like us? It's so much more comfortable. But here's an interesting point. We talked about blind spots last week, our blind self. And if we only surround ourselves with people who are like us, we will never find our blind spots because guess what? They have the same blind spots you do. So the only way to get rid of your blind spots is to be people with people who have different blind spots, who are different than you. Let's listen to one another. Let's, let's have coffee. Let's force ourselves a little bit out of our comfort zone, church. Go have coffee with some people who are very different, who have different thoughts, different views, whether it's political, religious, racial, cultural, whatever. Get to know some people who are different than you. And of course, it's easier to be with people in your tribe. Of course. Of course. But God says, my tribe's much bigger than that. If you, has anybody read Revelation 7 lately? It says that every tribe, tongue, people, nation are going to be gathered around the throne worshiping God. We better get used to it now because we're going to be with a lot of people there. The last thing I want to say is that we focus on loving. Focus on loving others. Focus on outward, unselfish loving. Love is meant to be other-centered, un unselfish, and yet so often in all of our reactions, and we're all like this, we, we tend to be somewhat self-focused about how people are receiving us, and what am I saying, and do I sound stupid, I sound smart, whatever. We tend to be very self-focused, and the Lord really, really dealt with me on this very early on. When I was starting to think about going into full-time ministry, I had already been in some ministry, but I was starting to look into going into full-time ministry, and what I realized is that I actually kind of had a hard time with people who didn't agree with me. Like, I really, they really bugged me. 
just being honest here, being real. You know, I liked them well enough, but it was like, why can't you agree with me? And whether it was on religion or politics or just their culture, you know, I wanted to shake them and be like, oh, you just, don't you see it? Come on, like, how can you not agree with me? And it bugged me. <laughs> and so I would just feel all this conflict when I was around them. I'd be defensive. I'd want to convince them, you know, and, and I just, after a while, would just avoid people that I knew it was going to get into that, like, not with them because I just, it just bugged me. <laughs> and God was like, girl, if you're going to go into ministry... <laughs> love all people. That's all people, not just the people who think like you and agree with you and think you're the moon. I mean, it's got to be everybody. And so I realized in that moment how lacking I was, and I began to pray a very short, simple prayer. I said, Lord, help me to love. Lord, help me to love. I would say it when I was walking down the street and passing a neighbor or friend that I knew, you know, we'd had an argument about something, you know, I, just help me to love. Let me make it not about me, God, but just to love. I, I would say it when I would be meeting new people, because I'm a bit of an introvert. I know it's hard to believe, but I'm a bit of an introvert. So I'd be meeting new people, and I'd just say, Lord, help me to love. And all that social anxiety about knowing if you're going to say the right thing and know what to say just kind of dropped away. I'd say, Lord, and when I was with somebody that I really, you know, disagreed with, I knew there was going to be conflict, I'd say, Lord, help me to love. Just help me to love them. Let me just be other-centered. Let me listen. Let me listen more, talk, listen more, talk less. And over time, God began to grow a love in me that I didn't have to feel like I needed to convince everybody of how right I was. And I could just love people. I still have to say it once in a while. When I'm in a situation where I'm uncomfortable a little bit, or maybe I'm with all new people, or I know there's going to be a conflict, I still walk in and I say, Lord, help me to love. Help me to love. Just help me to love. Let me see what you love about this person. Let me see the image of God in them and just love them. Can you say that with me? Say, help me to love. Help me to love. Say it again. Lord, help me to love. Help me to love. So simple really powerful. We're meant to be one in Jesus. And there's nothing more challenging and difficult, especially in this day and age. There's nothing more challenging. But Christianity, unlike most other faiths, crosses every cultural line. Crosses age lines, cultural lines, socioeconomic lines, language lines. It's taken root in Asia and in Africa and in the Mideast and in Europe and in the North America and the South America. I mean, it just, it's beyond culture. And so what that means is that you and I have brothers and sisters of every culture and every tribe. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so we need to learn to listen to them. We need to learn to realize what we don't know. We need to walk in one another's shoes, to weep with those who weep when they're weeping. We need to rejoice with those who rejoice when they're rejoicing. So can we open up the gates? I'm going to ask the band to come on up. We're going to be singing Reckless Love, and I just thought about how God has such a reckless love toward us that he knew how far off we were, how much we didn't get him, and yet he ran after us, he sought after us, he chased after us. And in the same way, might we have a reckless love for all people, all people. Let's get out of our comfort zone a little bit, church. Let's, let's make some new friends. Let's listen in some new ways. Let's love each other. Let's love each other more. Let's walk in each other's shoes. Let's listen more. 
Let's talk less. Lord, help us to love. Can we pray together? Oh, Lord Jesus, we, we realize that this is a hard word, Lord, for us because sometimes we don't even know our own, our own prejudices, our own biases, our own tendency to just go with people that, that make sense to us, that, we, that are like us, that affirm us. But Lord, I'm praying for a radical love to settle over this church. Hmm. What a radical love pour over this church. Love is other-centered. Love is not about me, my thoughts, my opinions. It's about others. So would you descend, Lord, by your love. The, the love you gave us is the love we give out. So as we're singing about the love that you gave to us, Lord, we're, 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 we're going to take that love, we're going to pour that out on others. So we just take a moment for us to say, yes, Jesus. This is that response time, that moment of ministry where, where we respond to what we have heard. We say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, help me to love. Open my eyes. Make me self-aware, Lord. And if you want prayer, you are, oh, there's always an opportunity for you to come to the left or the right, to either of these tables. There'll be people here to pray with you as we sing this last song. But I pray whether you come up to prayer or whether you are in your seats right now, that there would be an opening in your heart right now to God. A radical outpouring of love. God wants to pour love over you for you to pour out. Praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name.